It definitely was not a shorts and t-shirt kind of day today, was it? And uh, don't worry, I think it's supposed to get warmer in a day or two and then rain and get cold again, so all that fun stuff happens. Uh, I do have a few announcements for you, some things just to be thinking about. I know after the service this evening, we do this uh, uh, once a year. We have a couples afterglow, so I invite you, if you like to uh, couples, go down to the fellowship hall. Uh, we're going to have some food down there for you. It's just a good time of us fellowshipping. We normally have teen afterglows on Sunday nights where the teenagers have pizza, play games, and do that kind of thing. So we're going to kind of do the same thing. And couples with that, we're, gonna, we're not going to have pizza. We upgrade just a little bit more than pizza uh, there. And that really depresses y'all. But, you know, we upgrade a little bit. But we do provide child care for that. And so, and y'all pray for Jeremy and Will as they watch the kids. You know that everything will be all right. That God will bless, and, and I know they're already saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and uh, they're excited. Uh, do want to tell you, you know, of course, encourage you to come if you can on uh, Wednesday night. We're going to continue our series in First John, and I've really enjoyed studying that. A lot of the other activities have already been mentioned. Don't forget, next Sunday evening, uh, we'll be having our business meeting. We will have part of the service to uh, where uh, we'll be having a little bit of, of singing and a devotional, but then we'll move into our business meeting. I encourage you to come to that. We've got a lot of things that we want to uh, thank the Lord for that he did in 2018, but also some things, some visions, some things we like to do in this coming year. So I encourage you to come, be a part of that, and I think it would be a good time uh, with that. There's a lot of those things going on. You have a bulletin there. If you, if you have any questions, feel free to see us. We'd love for you to be a part in everything we got going on. Well, this evening we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs chapter number 30. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 30. I just want to say I really enjoyed our service this morning. I really enjoyed studying the passage in the Beatitudes. And Tom, this morning we said, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I enjoyed studying that passage and and I just pray that will be something true in my life and in your life as we continue in our walk with God and as we look at that, that sermon, sermon of Christ. But tonight we're going to look at something that is, I think we all desire to have and desire to be, but it's one of those things again, as we're going to see towards the end of Proverbs 30 here in just a moment, that put it in practicality. And as many of you remember back, I think last year, pretty much from the months of uh, June till I think it was almost November, we went through the parables of Christ. You said, Brother Phil, we remember. It was like six months. We remember the parables of Christ. I enjoyed those. And, and tonight, we're going to kind of look at an Old Testament kind of illustration or parable, uh, if you would. And it says, in, in verse number one, it talks about this man named Agur. And it, this is his proverb. This is his saying that he has. But I want us to pick up towards the end of the chapter in Proverbs 30 beginning in verse number 24. So Proverbs 30, beginning in verse number 24. The Bible says this. The man says, There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth, all of them by bands, the spider taketh hold with her hands, as in king's palaces. And verse number 24, as we're going to look at these illustrations, these four things it looks at here. But the Bible says in verse 24, there be four things, even though they're little, they're little of stature. You wouldn't think much of them by looking at them. But it says they're exceedingly wise. And I want us to look at some of these things that God has to hear in Proverbs and look at their wisdom and how they use not just knowledge, but use their knowledge into wisdom 
and some maybe some ways that be a help to us tonight. But let's pray and we'll get into our passage. Lord, as we come to you this evening, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to sing, to worship you in song. Lord, to hear the children. And Lord, in the giving and the fellowship and everything that goes on, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, just to hear a report about Miss Connie. And Lord, as Will prayed, Lord, I just, I definitely uplift that lady tonight. Lord, I pray you be with her. Lord, and being there at that children's home, Lord, with raising those children. And Lord, just mainly being just her, Lord, I pray you just be with her. Bless her, Lord. Thank you for the blessing she is to so many of those children there in Haiti. Lord, I pray you might even give her an extra measure of your grace this evening. And help her, help her feel your love. And Lord, as we take your word tonight, I pray in these next few moments that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you, God, for being so good and being so great. And Lord, I pray as we study this about wisdom, Lord, help us to truly be wise in your eyes. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And when I talk about wisdom and, and studying that something this week, you know, people talk about wisdom and what's that mean. And I think if anybody says that's a wonderful compliment to have in life, hey, that's a wise person to have wisdom. Solomon is known as the wisest man to have, to have ever lived. He asked God for wisdom when God asked him, what do you want and what can you do? What do you want that I can be a help to you? And when you read this passage here of Agur, and many people debate on who Agur is, but that's not the point of the passage tonight. But it says here in this passage, there's four things that are listed. There's four things that are on the earth. And even though they're not thought of a whole lot, they're not looked at as something by themselves of, of much stature, of something magnificent, something that is jaw-dropping when you see it. You wouldn't turn on the TV to the Discovery Channel or something and see one of these by themselves and think a whole lot probably of anything awesome about it. It's not like, like my favorite animal when I go to a zoo. I love zoos. I love... Those kind of things. I love seeing animals that I've never seen before. I love seeing elephants. There in Columbia, South Carolina at the Riverbank Zoo, they had the large African elephants. And I tell you, when I look at those elephants and kind of get close to them, it's interesting, not only the smell, but also it's interesting to be able to notice how just the mammoth size these things are. And just to study these animals and study these things. But a lot of these things, he's trying to tell these people here, He's trying to display because all these things mentioned here were very common there in Israel. They are very common there in, in where they lived, and they weren't looked at as much of anything at all. Like I said, you're not going to go out the door today and see any elephants and things like that going down. If you do, then we probably got some different problems, okay? But he's saying these are things that you see every day, but God says by the way they act that they're wise. I tell you, I don't want to be the opposite of wise. What is the opposite of wise? It's being simple, even being foolish, if you would. And the Bible, actually, we're not going to take time tonight, describes different people. There's the wise, there's the simple, there's the fool, and there's the scorner. And I tell you, that that's kind of a, a, a downward spiral there. I want to be in the wise category. And there's some things here that he says are very wise. And we'll go ahead and jump into them tonight. But number one, I want us to see this. He says the ant. If you see in verse number 25, he says the ants are a people not strong, Yet, they prepare their meat in the summer. And we're going to look at some different passages of Scripture here. But what I mean by the ant is that they're, they're, they're people, they are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Can I tell you, when I think of the ant, the word in my mind comes the word prepared or preparing. You know, there is wisdom in preparing 
for what comes. And what he's saying here in this passage is, is that the ant in the summer and the heat, what will the ants do? If you see ants, I tell you, if you answer one thing, I always think, man, can I get rid of these things? But if you ever look, it's like they just have this long trail and they're carrying these things everywhere and they get all over the place. But they're constantly preparing for when it's going to be cold. They're preparing for when it comes and they can't find food anymore. They're constantly preparing for what's going to happen. I know a passage of scripture that we all probably know. If there's a verse in the book of Amos that you know, what is it? Amos 4.12. What does it say? Prepare to meet thy God. Now, a lot of times we associate that with salvation, and I understand that. Now, Amos being a prophet to the, the people of Israel, it was in the sense of in their soul being ready to meet God. But can I ask you this evening, and, and I'm not trying to sound gloom and doom, but if you were about to meet God tomorrow, are you prepared to meet him? Are you prepared to stand before him? My father-in-law was a pastor for many years. He, he always would say this. He says, if you had to stand before God and he asked you one question, what have you done that you might enter to my heaven? What would your answer be? What is it that you've done that you may enter into my heaven? And of course, he always says the idea is my faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my soul's salvation. I tell you, the more I think about it, the more I prepare and I live day to day. We're a people that are very much what consumers. We live one day, we survive one day. You ever feel like that? If I can just get out of today. But a lot of times when you think that, you think the same thing tomorrow. You think the same thing the next day. And before you know it, all you did in life was survive. And as believers, I don't think God intends us to survive. He intends us to live joyful life. As we look in the Beatitudes, a perfect happiness in our lives and to be prepared. Uh, I know I've shared this with you before. Uh, and the idea of preparing is that every day that I live, that's one less day I have to prepare for the day I stand before God. And I think to myself in my life that I have, I, I, I'm a lot of different people. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm a lot of different things. I'm a brother. Those things. And those relationships, those people that God allows me to have an impact or a part of their life, what am I doing, not just to prepare my own life, but what am I doing to wisely prepare them for the day they meet God? I've told you about the book that I've read, and I recommend it highly to anybody that's married. It's called You and Me Forever by Francis Chan. And the mentality is this, is what are you doing in your life to help your spouse for the day they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you doing to help? You know, I think in my life so long I want to be a good husband. We say there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I want to be a good husband, but what am I doing in my life? What did I do today? What will I do tomorrow? What did I do this week to help Rachel in the day that she stands before God, help her in her relationship with God? What did I do this week? Let me ask you if you have children. Ask the same thing I ask myself. What did I do in my children's life this week to help them for the day, prepare them for the day they'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? Because here's something that we all know. I can't get this week back. I can't get those days back. And what are we doing in preparing that? And for something that's so important as the day that we stand before God, it's something we ought to show some wisdom in, some, something we ought to show preparation in for the day that we, that we stand before God and, and preparing. I think in myself, every time the Lord really tries to convict me, because there are days when, I'll just be honest, some days I don't want to study. Some days I don't want to dive in this book. You say, Brother Phil, you don't want to study some days? Yeah, I'm human. Some days I don't want to. Some days my flesh says, no, don't do it. You're tired. Do this, do that, or the other. 
But it comes to my mind is this, is that these opportunities we have in this room and we have Sunday school down the uh, fellowship hall, that those opportunities are what God gives me to try to be a blessing. But also, what am I doing with the opportunity I have to prepare you for the day you stand before God? And he said, Brother Phil, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That's great. But we all know what salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. What am I doing to help prepare you? And it says the ant is wise. Why? Because in the summer, in the heat, in the difficult times, they work together. They don't work alone, but they work together and they're strong and they prepare for that. They prepare for their future. Over in the book, you don't have to turn to all these passages, but we'll be in Psalms a good bit. Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And talking about the idea of preparing. The the wisdom of preparing. And looking at, talking about the ants and how they prepare. In Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says this. It says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and a thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So have I seen thee in the sanctuary. That verse number one talks about I will seek thee. Why? Because my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth. Man, that sounds a whole lot like what we studied this morning, doesn't it? It sounds a whole lot like blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I notice here what, what David is saying in the psalm. He says, early will I seek thee. Now, I think that can be interpreted as early in the day. And by the way, if you're like me sometimes and I forsake seeking God early, I run into people, pressures, and problems that, man, I really wish I did seek the Lord early and to prepare me for my day, prepare me for what I was going to face. But I think in life, it also can mean that mentality of, of preparing for that, preparing for those things that we're going to face, those things that we're going to encounter. And, you know, when you think about it uh, in this idea of preparing It's not, like I said, it's not living just day to day. It's taking each day and preparing for what's coming. And preparing for what's going to happen. I tell you, it's, if you're there in Psalm, I I encourage you just for a moment, flip over to Psalm 136 if you would. I'm not trying to get too off track here. I'm not trying to chase a rabbit too far here. But even though we say prepare, Psalm 136, prepare to meet God, being preparing for that day. And what we mean by not living from day to day, it means look ahead what's coming. I am thankful for Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is probably one, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. I don't know if you noticed something in Psalm 136. There's 26 verses. There's the same ending to every verse in Psalm 136. We're not going to read them all. I just want to read the first one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Look at verse 2. Oh, give thanks unto God, to the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. At the end of every single verse, it says, for his mercy endureth forever. By the way, I think anytime God says anything, anything, anything one time in Scripture, you pay attention. Something happens twice, pay attention. It's mentioned 26 times. But you know what that tells me? That I don't need to live this day for myself. I don't need to live this day just to survive this day. I can live every single day. You can live every single day. And you can live it in wisdom. You can live it wisely. Preparing your life, your heart for that day. For what you're going to face. Why? How can you face the day when you may not know what's coming in your day? How can you prepare for something you don't know it's coming? Because his mercy 
endureth forever. His mercy is enough. There is nothing you will face in this life. There is nothing I will face in this life that is beyond the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're like me, there's certain things in my life I'm like, I just wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't ready for that. How do I prepare for something I don't know it's coming? It's like a pop quiz. By the way, didn't you love getting those? I mean, I, I know kids I had when I was teaching for a while. I'd give a quiz. I'd announce it for a week, and they still act like it's a pop quiz, even though I've been telling them for a week you're going to have a quiz. Some of you teachers are like, yep, I understand. They weren't listening. But sometimes in your life, you're like, God, I didn't prepare for this. But I love how, even though I may not be ready for what's coming, God knows exactly what's happening. God is sovereign. God is just. God is still on the throne. God knows what's going to happen. But I just prepare my heart to trust God regardless of what happens. You know, this week, let me ask you, was your life up and down, up and down, up and down? You say, Brother Phil, I just wasn't ready for what came this week. Well, were you up and down because you trusted God with everything that happened? Or were you up and down emotionally and mentally and spiritually and everything because you were trying to work everything out? You know, God says that we can prepare. It's wise to prepare. But part of preparing is also trusting God with the things that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to come in our life and not living for day to day. I think everybody in this room knows that, Lord willing, you'll have great days ahead of you. But you also know, Lord, more than likely if you live, that there's going to be days that aren't so great. But what are you doing to prepare for that? Well, I can't prepare if I don't know. And that's why we've got to cling to God every single day and say, your mercy endureth forever. And the mercy of God. So we see here, we see the ant, that someone, there's wisdom in preparing. Uh, verse number 26, the second thing I want us to see tonight is this. It says, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet make their houses in the rocks. Now, i got to tell you this, and he slipped out to grab some food for later. But Jeremy looked at me and says, why does that say cookies? I'm like, Jeremy, that doesn't say cookies. It says conies, okay? And I said, man, now the rest of the night, all I'm going to think is just cookies now the rest of the night. So I said, you don't mess me up. But you say, it was a coney. See, there in the uh, Middle Eastern world, they have what's kind of a blend between a badger and a raccoon. That's what a coney was. And in those times, a coney is like this kind of, uh, it was on its own, but it was something that always had, a, what does it say, lived in the rocks because it was very vulnerable. It was something that was alone a lot, and it could be easily attacked because of the area it was in. Because of living in the mountains, it had to find its protection in the rocks. So we, when we see the ant, we see wisdom in preparing. But I think something we miss a lot of times in wisdom, and looking at the coney here, is there's wisdom in awareness. Being aware. Being aware. Not having your head in the sand. And it says here about these conies, they're feeble. It says, yet they make their house in the rocks. It means they were aware. They found those things that they could run to. They could hide in the rocks, whether it's birds or fowls or vultures or other animals. They found a place, a rock, that they could hide in. And you know there's lots of places we could go here in Scripture about that rock that protects us, that rock that uh, provides for us. I tell you, it makes me the idea of being aware of predators. I tell you, the verse that comes to my mind is 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? For your adversary, the devil, what does it say? As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That is saying he is actively looking for someone he can destroy. John 10.10. But the thief, speaking of Satan, 
cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we know even the life of a believer, even though Satan can't have our soul, thank God, he does want to steal your joy. He does want to kill your testimony. He does want to destroy your desire to love God and please God and, and to go forward for God in life. He wants to do those things. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And being aware in 1 Peter 5, 8, being sober means to be, and being vigilant means being active, being serious, being aware of what's going on. And there's wisdom in that. Why? It says because your adversary. I think a lot of times as believers, yes, we, we don't want to give Satan credit. I understand that to a degree. But I think we need to understand that he is our adversary. He is not our ally. And he's not make-believe. And I think a lot of times we put a lot, we don't put much emphasis on the spiritual warfare. We don't put emphasis on things we don't see. But I tell you, there's spiritual warfare going on in your home tonight. There's spiritual warfare going to go on when you're sitting there and it's just you and your cell phone. There's going to be spiritual warfare there with you and your children and, and your relationships and the things that you have. There's going to be spiritual warfare anytime you do something and we have an adversary and he's seeking. It doesn't say he's resting. It doesn't say he's sitting, but he's seeking who he may devour. And when this coney, as it talks about back in Proverbs, it says that they live in the rocks or they stay close to the rocks. Why? For their protection. If you're there in Psalm, I'm going to flip back to Psalm 9. And I'm going to look at a few Psalms here, a few verses talking about protection and talking about that rock. And being aware of your surroundings. Psalm 9.9 says this. It says the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Saying that he's going to be a place that you can go to. Won't take time tonight. But I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity in the Old Testament to study what they call the cities of refuge. A place that you could go to. And, and, and underneath that, it, and it won't, I'm going to give you a real quick general summary of it. But in the Old Testament, what they would do a lot of times is these cities of refuge were places people could go. And the reason you would go there, if somebody, whether they're working or doing something, and another person was killed, and especially if it was done by accident, if it was an accident where someone was killed and what they were doing. And the family, a lot of times, of the one that's deceased, a lot of times the avenger would come and would come to take away the life. Why? Because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? As it says in the Old Testament. And it says that whenever somebody was uh, accidentally had done this and they're killed, they could run to this city and they could run to this city of refuge and they could knock on the door and, as, and the priest that was there would allow them in. But if they were found guilty that it was malicious, it was of intent of the heart that they did it cold-blooded, then they would send them out. But if that avenger wanted to come, the one that wanted the blood would come. That that one, if it was an accident, what that priest would do is say, as long as I live, you cannot have the one inside. They say, well, Brother Phil, what does that matter? As long as that man was living, that priest was living, the one that wanted that guy's soul couldn't have him. And can I tell you, just as Satan is that adversary, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a great high priest. And as long as Christ liveth, Satan can never touch your soul. He never can have you. He never can destroy your life. He never can destroy your soul and because the Lord lives. And it goes on to not only say that, but in Psalm 46, 
Psalm 46, verse number 1. And this is one you might know a little bit better. It says, God is our refuge, verse 1, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And I like, I have underlined in my Bible, if you like to underline, I'll tell you something I have underlined in my Bible. Psalm 46, verse 1, I have the first two words. God is. It doesn't say God will be. God will be my refuge. It doesn't say God will be my strength. It says God is. He's current. He's active. It's present tense. And he is there for me. And I like how it says, though, in verse 2, though the world may fall apart, he is there for me to protect me, to guide me. I can go to that hiding place. And let me ask you tonight, do you ever feel like sometimes your world is just crumbling and you're falling apart? Can I encourage you to understand, not God will be, but God is. Whatever it is you need, God is. He is that for you in your life. Keep working there in Psalm, Psalm 61. In verse number 2, Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2, excuse me. We actually looked at this passage about a year ago. I know everybody remembered that. But Psalm 61, (laughs) verses 1 and 2. David says this. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, that rock. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed. I think we all can say in life we have times that we're overwhelmed. And David's saying here, hear my cry and lead me to the rock. Why? Because it's higher than I am. It's above what I'm going through what I'm enduring in my life, what I'm facing in my life. It's higher than I. Just down in the next Psalm, Psalm 62, verse number 7 says, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. And we won't keep looking at it because we could be here all night long. But I want to tell you tonight, if you're discouraged... I want to tell you tonight, if you feel like the world is on you, can I encourage you by looking at this little badger-like raccoon animal thing, Coney, and tell you there is wisdom in being aware. You are not alone. Some of the greatest words I think Christ ever told his disciples was right before he left. I am with you always. Wait a minute, he's leaving. That doesn't make sense. I'm with you always. Even when you can't see me. I'm with you always. Can I tell you, I don't know if you can't see God and what you may be facing, what you may face. You may say, Bill, my life right now is like rainbows and smiles. Everything is great. Well, good. I'm glad for you. But can I encourage you something? He is with you always, even to the end of the world. He's with you always. And there's wisdom in preparing. And as we looked at the coney, there's wisdom in awareness, being aware. Because you know what? The coney would get destroyed if it got too far away from the rocks. The coney would get hurt if it was too far away from the rock. Let me encourage you. You're going to go out into the world here in just a little bit. Don't get too far away from the rock. Don't get too far away from the hiding place that you can be. Back to the third one we see here. 
Back in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, he says this, The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them by bands. So we see wisdom in preparing, wisdom in awareness. And I see here, and I think it's something we can apply as a body of believers, is that there's wisdom in unity. There's wisdom in unity. What does it say about the locust? It says there's not a queen locust, not a king locust. But it says they stick together in bands. And if you're like me, I think locusts, I think kill them. I don't want them coming. Cause it, but what is it? They come together. You don't say, oh, look, there's a locust. If you're like me in my house, I see a fly. A fly's by itself. But I don't know if you've ever had times where you've seen a swarm of locusts come. They come together, they work together, they devour together, and they leave together. Kind of like a holiday with family, right? They all come together, do all that together, devour, eat, and go. But what, I'll th- what I see here is this is that they have unity. They work together. They're not seeking their own glory. And I tell you, this is something we're going over in Sunday school. In fact, this next week, we're going to be looking at that, looking at what it means to be a biblical church member. And what we're talking about is this. We're going to look at next week. We looked at this week what it means to be a functioning church member. We're going to look at next week what it means to be a unifying church member, what it means to actively be trying to unify the body of Christ. Let's just be honest. People in this room, everybody in this room, people that are here Sunday morning, this morning, we all come from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different different things. But God has brought us here together under the common denominator of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the greatest thing that we can have in a church is unity. And I can tell you the thing that can drive the biggest wedge and destroy a church is disunity or a lack of unity. It can. Little sex, little things that come up that you see in there. And I see it by the locusts is this. They do everything together, nothing apart. And we need unity with Christ. And we don't need to be apart from him. If you would, flip to the New Testament over in the book of Philippians. If you would, Philippians chapter 2. I know we're using a lot of Bible tonight, but I think when you do Bible study, it's good for let the Bible speak for itself. But as Paul's talking to this church here in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Now, now remember, Paul is speaking to a church, a very poor church. I mean, poor financially. Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter to encourage this church. I always find that humorous. Paul's in prison, and he's trying to encourage <laughs> this church. And I see in Philippians chapter number 2, talking about doing everything, not doing anything apart from Christ, and unity, wisdom and unity. Look in Philippians uh, 2, verse 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Look at that again. It's God. He, God is working in you. He's talking to you. He's talking to individuals. He says, he goes, I'm talking about you believers there at Philippi. He said, it's God that's working in you as a body of believers, both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Can I tell you, if God wants to do something great in our church, he's going to not do it with one here, one there, five here, two here. He wants to do it with you, meaning all of it. Now, in the South, we don't say you when we say plural. We say y'all. You know, I understand that. But what he's saying here is this. He's saying, I want to work in you as a group to know my will and to do my will. To be a part of that, not to be on your own. 
And we need that unity within the body of Christ. Look what it says in the very next verse. Why? Why do we need that unity? Verse number 14. This is a verse we like to quote to our kids, right? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Okay, we're like, hey, kids, you need to memorize one verse of Scripture. This is going to be the verse. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Let me ask you a question. Why? Why does Paul say, do everything that you do? The will of God, the, what you will and the do of his good pleasure. Why do you need to do everything without murmurings and disputings? Verse 15 is why. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Why is it a horrible thing for a church not to have unity? Why is it a horrible thing to not have unity within the body of Christ? Because as it says in the middle of that verse, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. We all know the things we're going to face, the things you'll see on the internet, the things you'll see on TV, the things you'll see in your community are not a lot of times things that uplift Christ. And because of the world we live in, Part of being in the world and not of the world is having unity of Christ. And the reason there can't be murmurings and disputings because that when the world looks at us, they can see us as blameless and harmless. And as it says at the end of verse 15, we can shine as lights. We want to shine as lights in the world in there. So many more verses here that I'd like to read. I won't make you turn all, but I do want to read to you. Out of Romans real quick. Romans 12. And I know our time's about up. But Romans 12. Verses 4 and 5. Give a great understanding of why you need unity within the body of believers. Romans 12. Verse 4 and 5. It sounds very similar to what we've been studying in Sunday school in 1 Corinthians 12. But Romans 12. 4 and 5 says this. For as we have many members in one body. And all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. It goes on through there talking about we all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all bring something to the table. And what it means is that we all have a part that we play. Can I tell you, just because you're not the one preaching or singing in a service doesn't mean that you're not important in the worship of God. As I tell Sunday school, I tell you, some of the biggest people I'm fans of are those that work the nursery. I love me some nursery workers. I love me some Sunday school teachers, those that teach children, those that teach those things. And by the way, it is equally as important for that person's teaching a child as it is for me teaching an adult. If you don't plant the seed, you'll never see fruit. It's important. It's valuable. It's what needs to be done. And he's saying we're all part of one body it's all important it's all what needs to be done it all it's all what god has called us to do in working together uh the other verse here in first corinthians 1:10 says now i beseech you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that ye all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment that word perfectly means completely joined that you're all of one mind one mission one heart is what you're trying to accomplish for Christ. So we see here in this, the idea with the locusts, he's saying, with the locusts, they have unity. He says they do everything in bands. They do everything together. They do it together, and they, they want to do it together. If you study the book of Acts in the early church, 
they really had the concept of being one body. Now, a lot of times people say, I don't wish we'd get back to no one here, but I've heard people say, and I wish we'd get back to the book of Acts. If we were the early church, we'd be all great. Well, you know, the early church, they sold everything they had and everybody was equal. When somebody had a need, they all gave financially everything. They were all equal. So before we jump on that too much, let's make sure we're ready to jump into the commitment that that was. By the way, that early church also suffered massive persecution for their faith. And so we see that in, in unity. There's wisdom in unity. And then the last one I want us to see back in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter 30. Proverbs 30, the last one here, says in verse number 28, it says, The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of spiders. Some of you are that way. I know some of you really, really hate spiders, and you're like a blow. A blowtorch is the best way to kill a spider. I understand that. But when you understand this, what is it saying about the spider? It's bold and fearless. It's tiny. And a lot of times in what it does, it'll spring on something. It's bold. It's fearless. It's relentless. And can I tell you what it's talking about here is that there's wisdom and boldness. There's wisdom and boldness. You ever sometimes like, Lord, I really want to tell this person about Christ. I really like to invite this person to church. Man, I really like to, uh, these people over here are maybe saying something or doing something that's just totally against God and, and it's offending my soul and I want to be the right testimony. And the whole time you're sitting there like, uh, what do I do, what do I do? Pray for boldness. God, give me boldness. Help me to speak the truth. Help me speak in love, but to speak boldly. And to have that boldness. And when I think of that, that's what it's talking about here. It's saying the spider taketh hold with her hand. See, it is very fearless. It's bold. It springs right on an opportunity. It says when there's an opportunity, it jumps right on. It's bold. It doesn't sit there and, and worry about all the different things that could go wrong. All the different things. with it, it jumps on an opportunity. Let me ask you, when God brings opportunities in your life, do you have to see how it's all going to work out before you do it? Or can you, because how God leads you in your life, hey, just jump out there and do it. Step out there and do it. You know, I have people tell me before, say, Brother Phil, I never could get up and talk in front of people. I can never teach a Sunday school. I can never work with children. I can never do these different things. Can I tell you, everybody that's ever done it, everybody that's ever done the different things like that, they weren't born with the gift of gab. Well, some people are born with the gift of gab. But they weren't born with that idea. They had to come out of their shell. You got to come out. You got to say, I'm willing to be bold. I'm willing to do this for the cause of Christ and willing to step out and be fearless and not saying, I got to see everything. But they spring on opportunity. Some verses here I like to see talking about boldness over in the book of Ephesians, chapter number three. And we're about done here. But Ephesians, chapter number three. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, talk about having boldness and why we can. How can I have boldness in witnessing to my neighbor? How can I have boldness in taking a good stand on my job? How can I have boldness in inviting people to church and sharing my faith? How can I have boldness? Well, look where boldness comes from. In Ephesians 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. 
Can I tell you that boldness comes from Christ? A lot of times I don't do what God tells me to do in a situation that he presents me an opportunity. You know why? Because my confidence is in self. It's not in Christ. My confidence is shaken in my abilities or my lack thereof so I don't do what I should instead of my confidence being in Christ and being bold. He says in that verse 12, in whom we have boldness. How do you have boldness? I have boldness and I have access. Why? Because I'm confident in the faith that I have in him. I'm confident in that. And, and just talking about it, we got our missions conference coming up at the end of next month. Last Sunday night, we had the Heifel family here with us. And I tell you, when I see a missionary family come through, and like we talked about Miss Connie tonight, I'll just be flat honest with you. I don't have the confidence and faith in God that a lot of these people do. I wish I did, but here's the problem. I'm going to wish. When am I actually going to do it? Well, a lot of us stay in the wishing phase. I mean, as, as Brother Will read, a lot of you know the backstory. But Miss Connie's husband was, uh, died of a heart attack about eight years ago. If I'm not mistaken, Miss Connie's in her late 60s. When her husband died, coming preaching from one church and was making his way to deck, she, she had everybody in the world telling her, go home. You've done your work. You've done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And she could, and she says, but there's a need. And she said, there's a need of these kids. These Haitians will take kids that have disabilities, have these different things. And she lives kind of up there in voodoo country up there in the mountains. And she says, kids have any type of uh, disability, they would take them. And, and Ms. Connie's even talked about, and I would love to somehow get her just to share five minutes of what her life is like. But Ms. Connie says, I can tell you about times of watching from a distance a family at a voodoo service with a kid with a deformity, bury that child alive, wait for them to leave, and go dig them up. And I'm thinking, and I ain't got the faith to hand a track out at Walmart. Oh, I'm bold, right? Because <laughs> all that confidence is right here. That's not where my confidence needs to be. And like I said, talking about the Heifel family, they got kids like 8 and 11 years old. They're going to go off and be missionaries and many missionaries all around the world. Things are going on. And I look at their boldness and I look at their faith and I say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my lack of faith. Help my lack of boldness. Forgive me of my confidence in self. And, and, and I see these things and, and say, you know, my confidence is by the faith that I have in Christ. The confidence that I have in him. And I'll end tonight just speaking this is Hebrews chapter 13. One last thing about boldness. But Hebrews chapter 13. And if you're at a point in your life where God is kind of just laying something or someone on your heart and you're really working on, I don't know how I can do this. This is not my comfort zone. This is not my wheelhouse, so to speak. I don't know how to do it. Can I show you some wisdom in, 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 in the idea of boldness? Can I tell you how you can do it and tell you how I can do it? It's Hebrews 13, verse number 6. It says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. We looked at it Wednesday night. God is greater. He's greater than anything we'll face. Bigger than anything in life. So when I look at this in the light of creation, 
And I see there's wisdom in preparing. There's wisdom in awareness. There's wisdom in unity. And there's wisdom in boldness. And God, through inspiration of Scripture, gives to this man, Agur, and he says this. You can look at creation. And even in creation, you can see what God says. Look at the way those things that I've created live because they're exceedingly wise. May I, may you this week live our lives when God looks at us, not other people, but when God looks at us, he says, that's my child, and they are exceedingly wise. Let's stand together, if you would. I appreciate you being here this evening. Hope you have a great week. If anything we can do to be a help to you, please let us know. We, we love you, and we want to pray for you, and hope that you have a good week. But let's close in a word of prayer, and uh, I'm going to ask Brother Rob.